0: Listening to the September 2021 edition of the Drawing the Ideal Self podcast. So today, you know, given the time of year, I thought it'd be a good idea to have a think about transitions, particularly into school, but it could be university, could be a new job, or it could be uh, joining a class, anything like that. I've just started a pottery class and I'm working my way through that. Uh, in terms of an experience, and understanding what people are talking about, and developing new constructs. And at this time of year, you've got lots of people starting new things. So I thought it'd be a good idea to think about anxiety, and the Kellyan version of that. So Kelly has a particular definition of anxiety. He says, anxiety is awareness that the events with which one is confronted lie mostly outside the range of convenience of one's construct system. In Bannister and Francella's Inquiring Man, The Psychology of Personal Constructs, there is a nice explanation of that. We become anxious when we can only partially construe the events which we encounter, and too many of their implications are obscure. Sex for the chaste, adulthood for the adolescent, books for the illiterate, power for the humble and death for nearly all of us tend to provoke anxiety. It is the unknown aspects of those things that go bump in the night that give them their potency. This definition is reasonably specific but it does not involve us in thinking of anxiety as some sort of separate factor inside us. The separate factor, common sense statements such as he was driven by his anxiety or psychological statements which talk about the person's level of anxiety as if it were a permanent trait at a given degree of intensity. Moreover, Kelly's is a purely psychological definition of anxiety which does not require us to mix our metaphors further by recourse to physiological constructs. So what's anxiety about? The awareness is important. So if you're not aware that you can't construe a situation, you're unlikely to be made anxious by it. That's Kelly's theory. The experience of anxiety is related to that awareness and to not having the construct system that you need. So if you think about some common everyday experiences, you could be going shopping in a foreign supermarket where you're on holiday, you don't speak the language at all for me that would be something like Russia um, and you don't have any idea what the things are. So you look at the jars, you look at the tins and unless they've got a picture on you're probably going to avoid it. That Going to the supermarket to get something if you were self-catering could be quite anxiety-provoking and it would be because you don't have the constructs that you need, it's probably unlikely to cause you fear, because fear is the awareness of an imminent incidental change in one's core structures. Uh, And what Bannister and Francella say is, this is, when a more peripheral part of our world becomes meaningless and unpredictable, we experience fear. Our superordinate constructions are not invalidated, so we have no sense of being overwhelmed. But an area of darkness opens up before us. We feel fear at the impending change. So for most of us, meeting a new experience can make us feel anxious and our experience is related to the fact that we don't have the constructs that we need. Therefore any intervention is going to be about developing construing. We might do that through using methods drawn from a behavioural approach where you do increased exposures to situations. So if you had a child who was anxious about the new school, what you do is you go on more visits before you have to transfer to the secondary school, for instance. If you had somebody who was anxious about their new job, you might have them connect with people in that new place before they start work, so that they could ease into the job a bit more easily. So the idea is that the interventions for anxiety will develop construing. If you think about young people who are transferring to secondary school, they've been in a primary school, usually with few teachers. Even in a big school, they'll be limited in terms of who will teach them in a week. So they may have three or four teachers, but it won't really be more than that. It's unlikely. And then they have to go to a large school, with a physical environment that is a lot bigger and more difficult to navigate, as well as far more relationships to develop. And one of the things that causes quite a lot of problems for young people is being transferred to a school like that and not having the structures around you to understand. So some schools have developed transition groups where they will bring young people in in advance of the school year and get them used to, say, a small group of young people and a small group of staff. And they might have some time in the building in the summer holidays or before that, so they can get used to the environment as well. That's all about developing construing. So that you know where the toilets are, (laughs) You know what you've got to be able to do is construe the building well enough to find your way there. Uh, That development of construing can reduce anxiety considerably. And if you think of other experiences, such as starting an evening class. So recently I've started a class which is pottery. And last year, before, well, during COVID, I started a sculpture class. That was a bit too broad probably for me. And it, it led to me not being able to decide quite what to make. And although this class, I could do sculpture if I want to, I'm going to focus on pottery mainly because that's what the class is called and that's what I want to develop. But I'm aware as I'm sitting there trying to work on a piece of clay that I really don't have the constructs to do it well, which is the point of going to the class. So I don't know what the material will do. I don't know what I can use to manipulate the material. And I'm not sure where I sit in terms of my ability to do it. So I'm doing experiments all the time and I'm trying out different things and they may fail. And that doesn't particularly matter to me. Uh, It might matter to the person running the class because maybe he wants me to make something really good. But to me, what I'm conscious of doing is working out what's possible. And I don't really mind if it goes wrong. So certainly... I have anxiety about it, uh, particularly on the day that the class is, but it's not a crippling thing. The thing that is really useful about Kelly's definition is anxiety relates to construing it is not a trait that people always will have at the same intensity as that quote suggests. So somebody who, who is prone to becoming anxious, from a PCP point of view, we can think of that as this is somebody who does not easily develop new constructions to help them through situations. Uh, so they may be more reliant on past than on future. They may not pay attention to experiences very well because they're anticipating that they're going to be very difficult. So what you would be doing in terms of an intervention is trying to loosen them into being able to construe the possibilities of a new situation. So rather than thinking, I'm going to pottery and it's going to be terrible, or I've got to know everything about it very quickly, you might be working with them to encourage them to think of pottery as... Only one art, and not have any implications for performance in other arts, and also to think of it as something that is something you can be variously good at, so that you can be terrible at it, or you can be quite bad, or you can be getting better, um, or it's something that you can be fantastic at after a lot of effort. I think the 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 work that's now very popular about uh, persistence and resilience in learning, which is to do with uh, you know, grit, so that young people are encouraged to persevere, uh, will lead to the development of construing. If you give up at the first hurdle, you're unlikely to manage a situation because what you haven't done is develop new construing. Thinking about young people transferring to school The other thing is to think how are they going to develop their construing of the adults in the school? What is it that's going to happen that's going to mean that they develop a relationship with that person? So remember, from a PCP point of view, that's entirely about being able to construe another person well enough to play a role with them. So in a school, that's a a pupil being able to construe a teacher well enough to do well in their role of pupil. That doesn't mean necessarily do well with their work. It means play the role that the teacher expects there to be in the classroom. Now that's interesting when you find young people who really don't do that. So they play a role which doesn't fit with school. So they might uh, always be messing about, making jokes all the time. They don't respect the teacher i.e. they don't talk to the teacher politely, they don't look at the teacher when the teacher's talking, they seem to be out to disrupt the lesson. One of the things that could really help with that is that young person getting to know that teacher in a very much more intense way. I guess at the beginning of school, particularly secondary school transfer, what happens is people play a role with a role. So if you know you have a teacher, you play the role of student or pupil. If you've got friends, you play the role with friends. But when you're in the classroom and the teacher is in charge, you play the role of pupil. Now, for some young people, they're not sure about the role of pupil and they might get that wrong. But for others, they find playing that role quite uncomfortable, probably because it makes them feel anxious uh, that they, they don't know what sort of thing to do. They don't know what that teacher likes. And uh, there's been a lot of work on creating pupil passports so that teachers can understand the needs of young people. So you might have one of those if you've got autism and the teacher you know, has some information about you. They know what you're good at. And they know your preferred way to work. They know whether you like to be praised or not, for instance. I always think that's only half of the story. Because what those students need is some way of construing the teacher more quickly. So if the teacher had a teacher passport where they explain who they are and their role in the school, their interests, the way they like to teach and what they have in terms of expectations of young people in their classrooms, that would really help those young people to have a better experience. I imagine that in a a sort of Top Trump's card, uh, I don't know if you know that, it's a card with facts about cars or whatever and a photograph of them. So you could really make Top Trump's cards about teachers uh, and give them out to those young people who you know are going to be vulnerable. So some of those young people might be uh, children who've had very bad experiences uh, in terms of their general life. So they may have a very poor home background they may have had lots of disruption so that they don't have the experience of continuing relationships and new relationships can create anxiety for them and they may show that through bad behaviour rather than running away or crying in a corner, sort of stereotypical uh, kind of ideas about anxiety. If those top trumps cards were given to people like that, then they would get to construe the teacher more easily and they're more likely to have a successful relationship. And what you'd be trying to do is develop sociality. So you could have a card for the child, you could have a card for the teacher and they swap over so they can understand each other better, much more quickly. The other thing that's useful about PCP is that you can borrow techniques from any kinds of psychological intervention. So you could follow a behavioural programme with graduated exposure. So if you've got a young person who struggles with the organisation of school, so they, they don't pack their own bag, they have to be dropped off by their parents, they don't get their homework sorted out, you could look at how you could encourage that through using a behavioural exposure approach. So you break the task down first, you develop those skills gradually. So for instance, if you're packing your bag, you first of all pack your bag with your parent. You then pack parts of the bag yourself. So it may be you can use backward chaining and forward chaining. You pack the beginning and parent finishes it off, or you pack the end, little bits, and put those in and gradually you increase the amount that the young person does. The difficulty with this is actually you're going to be dealing with a construing of two people, the young person and the parent. So the young person may not be interested in developing their skills. What you want to know about is what the implications of having those skills might be. So if you can pack your own bag, would that to that young person be a good thing or a bad thing? Would it be something they wanted to do? What are the the downsides of being able to pack your own bag? One of the things I would see is it's boring. You know, why would you want to pack a bag if someone else can do it for you? Uh, And we assume that young people want to be independent. Well, they probably do, but selectively. (laughs) You know, there are lots of things that uh, bringing up children teaches you that nobody likes filling the dishwasher. It's not an interesting task. Uh, Washing the car is slightly better, in my house at least. But filling the dishwasher is an absolute chore. And some of those things that young people have to learn to be independent, you have to really be insistent that they must do. Filling the dishwasher, to me, is something you can learn pretty quickly when you set your mind to it, probably when you have your own dishwasher. Um, And learning to wash up is the same. When you get fed up of having dirty cups, you will learn that actually if you wash it properly, that will be better all round. You don't have to do it twice. But uh, most parents will have some kind of rules about when independence kicks in and how it looks. So uh, for my kids from 14 to 16, kind of age, different for different ones, they had to do their own washing. Gosh, it caused such a problem at times. they, They felt offended that they had to do their own washing. They didn't have to pack the dishwasher, mind. They didn't have too many things to do. It was only looking after their bedroom and making sure it was clean and tidy, which has worked variously at different points, but also doing their washing. And they've got it wrong, you know, they've shrunk things. They've done all the things that I did when I was learning to do washing. That's a useful thing to learn before you leave home because it means that you can actually look after yourself uh, and for some of them, they've learnt to cook. Um, some of the others have been really reluctant to learn to cook. And I think that's related to both seeing enjoyment in the task itself and liking cooking eventually, but also seeing the reaction of people to the food. Um, so, you know, anxiety about cooking would be related to not having the constructs to follow a recipe, not knowing how to follow a recipe, Alexa really helps with that. I've got an Alexa show. And although I'm reluctant to recommend Amazon because they're so rich, it really makes following a recipe a whole lot easier. <laughs> Not as easy as YouTube, mind. And I did hear that somebody is making audio recipes only. I've got a feeling it's Ruby Tando. Well, I think that's her name. She was on the Bake Off. Um, and that will be useful for people who've got visual impairment, so they can follow a recipe and she chats away, um, and I think that will make it easier for some people who don't want the distraction of watching something, they just want to hear it, which is kind of a bit like Alexa actually. So going back to the issue about independence of school transition, packing your bag, although it is an essential skill, parents are going to have to be absolutely on board with that. So whoever they're living with, parents or carers, needs to be able to allow that to happen and tolerate what happens when it goes wrong. So when young people turn up at school and they don't have the homework with them, maybe they'll get a detention, maybe not. For some parents, they find that intolerable, to think that their child is going to do that because they weren't competent and they may find it very hard to give up their role of backpacking. When I worked in the special school and I was working on the residential side, I did some work in the daytime with young people who were going to integrate into the day side of the special school. And they had been school-phobic in a very severe way. And we had myself working with the young person. At the same time, the head teacher worked with the parents. At exactly the same time. So if if the young person came in for a lesson with me for an hour, The parent came in for a session with the head teacher for an hour. And as those sessions became longer, he had to do more and more with the parents. So I can remember one time he took them to a garden centre and bought them a plant because he needed them to be out for a long time to allow their child to have the experience of being in the school and for him to be able to support them to tolerate the anxiety it created in them. And they found that very helpful to that process and we did that very successfully with quite a number of young people who'd been out of school for a very long time. Uh, I can remember one boy who only who only went out at night and he uh, was quite an academic kid actually, but he'd found secondary school very difficult in terms of the social side of things. Now he probably would have been diagnosed with autism, but he wasn't then. And his parents had learning difficulties which were very, very obvious. I'm not sure if they had autism or not. They certainly had very obvious learning difficulties. And I guess for him, school had been a place where he may have been bullied and teased about his family situation, which would have made life very hard. So he wouldn't go out at all in the day. But at night time... He would ride around graveyards on his bike and ride around the streets. So he wasn't generally afraid, he was a very afraid specifically of school. And he came in to the school and it was his parents that had took to the garden centre. But his parents found him being in school extremely difficult because they had difficulties managing him and they didn't want him to be upset. The thing that worked for him was that he was uh, an academic boy who liked study. So we worked on a number of projects of his interest. Uh, I can remember one was about space, which is definitely, absolutely not my interest. Uh, And we worked on his projects. So he set the curriculum and we worked together on those things just for an hour at a time at first. At first it was just a a meeting with him and parents and gradually, gradually we could extract him from his parents and get him into a room on his own. But it was just me and him and then gradually we worked so that he met some of the other kids in the school. No, it was a special school so the classes were very small. And then he was able to tolerate other work and actually in the end I taught him at the time O-level psychology because he got very connected into thinking that we were doing something that mattered and he became interested in his own psychology and as a result other psychology and he passed his GCSE, which was great. So what you're trying to do in terms of anxiety is find ways to help the young person to construe things in a way that is much less anxiety-provoking for them. So instead of school being all bad. You might be working on some areas of school physically being okay to be in and also some aspects of the school curriculum being okay to be in and some teachers being okay. I would suggest that any work with very anxious young people is unlikely to be successful without engagement with their parents or carers. My experience has been that that takes a lot of work and is extremely valuable, and nothing works without it. Because if the young person goes home and starts to complain, you really need the parents to be on board with the need to persist. Um, Because your constructs won't develop unless you have some repeated experiences. So if you can go into school every day for a week, even if it's only for 10 minutes... By the end of that week, the way that you construe the school may have changed significantly. So you've got more used to the noise, you've got more used to the environment. But without the experience, it's unlikely to be different. One of the questions I often ask parents is, what's their greatest fear for their child? Uh, And that can throw up some interesting things. So it may be that they worry that they won't be able to contain their child's upset when they're distressed about things. And that can lead to all sorts of things. So I've met parents who become a tool for young people. So they drop them off at school, they pack their bag for them, they make the decisions for them, uh, and the young person then doesn't need to change anything or develop their own skills. When you say to parents, if things carry on like this, what are you most worried about? that can be very helpful because if they say, you know, that I'm always going to have to do this for my child, they're going to live with me forever and never leave home, they won't be able to. If you can hook them in on that, that might be very helpful. So you'd think, OK, so if if you want your child to leave home eventually and do what other people do and go to work and drive a car and have relationships... Let's have a think about at what point in their life you want them to be able to do that. And helping parents to pin down a sort of process like that seems to really be a useful way to get into them construing differently. So instead of them just carrying on and accepting that this is the way it is, they might start to think, okay, well, I want them to be independent by the time they're 20. I know it's not going to be 18, but 20 would be okay. If you say to them, well, you know, how would that happen? You can get parents to list the things that to them signify independence. So they may not be the same things. You know, in my house, it's doing your own washing. Somebody else's house, it could be anything. It could be that you walk the dog every day. It could be that you do the shopping. It could be that you know how to clean the whole house. Um, All sorts of things. But independence in school is related to being able to go to school on your own, get your stuff done, relate to the teachers okay, and then come home okay. And the travel can be quite a tricky issue, particularly if you've got young people who don't have the friendships to support them. So going to school on your own, walking down the road and getting bullied is unlikely to be helpful. Going on the school bus and getting bullied is unlikely to be helpful. Uh, and what we want to do is help children to experience those things, but in a very safe way. So it might be that in order to go to school on the bus, if that's determined to be the most useful thing, it has to be very early. Or it has to be that they arrive at school late. Either of those things might be possible. And for young people who are failing in school because of the way they construe school and themselves, you know, negotiating a, a different way to do school might be necessary. One of the things that could be helpful over this kind of first term for young people in a new situation, or for yourself, if you've started an evening class like me, is to notice how they are construing things. So if you're meeting with young people, you need to be talking to them about how they see it. Don't make any assumptions Um, But look at what are the implications of their construing. So if they construe the school building as too big, what's the issue with that for them? So what was their primary school like? What are other places like that they go to? It may be they construe the school as too big, but they go to the football match every single week in a massive stadium. So how come that's not too big? What is it about school being too big that's different? And it's unlikely to be only to do with the size. It's you know, probably going to involve some of the relationships with people. It might involve you know, getting around, but maybe they're worried about getting to a lesson late. And one of the things to avoid getting in trouble when you get to the lesson is not to go at all. If they're concerned about getting their work done, then I would suggest that you need some intervention between them and their teacher so that they can develop the construing better either of the subject or of the teacher and pupil um, so that they can anticipate each other better. The teacher can know which bits the young person is more likely to struggle with so you could take a lesson and break it down. You could say which part of a lesson are you likely to find hard? Is is it the beginning when the teacher's introducing the subject? Um, And if you find that hard, what does that mean for you? Uh, And what's the contrast to that? So uh, when you look around the classroom, are there people who don't find it hard? How would you describe them? So they might say, confident. Um, And then you say, OK, so is confidence something you would want to be or would you prefer to be somebody who finds the start of the lesson hard? And you can do some laddering with that. You can also do pyramiding. Trying to understand they're construing more, and you could say, okay, so when you look at the people who are confident, how do you know? What do you actually see that tells you that they're confident? Uh, And I often say, you know, if I came into the classroom or I had a video of the classroom, what would I see on there? Uh, What would people be doing? You know, would it make a difference to how somebody sat when they were confident? Would they be more or less likely to do certain things like put their hand up to answer a question or open their books or bring their equipment? And you don't know the implications until you start asking. So it's very important that you ask about the contrast poll, and also that you ask about the implications. Because for things that uh, we might think that people want to be rid of, they don't necessarily. Uh, You can use an ABC to explore that. Okay, so I think that's enough for today. So whatever your role is, you're likely to be in some way connected with other people. So you will notice people construing new experiences. And just pay attention over the next month or so to how that happens, because if they've started something new over this last few weeks, they're likely to be continuing with it. So whether that's something in a school, whether it's an evening class, whether that's joining a new club or moving house or starting university or whatever it is. Um, It's a good idea to think about yourself and your own sources of anxiety and also to recognise that if you are anxious, what you need to do is have a look at your Construing System and see how you can develop it ASAP really. Um, because that will reduce your anxiety. What won't work so well is not, not paying attention to the situation and avoiding it. All right, so I will see you again, I hope, at the end of October. Okay, goodbye.